Welcome to this week's episode of BusinessWise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying a management system discovered and developed by humanitarian, philosopher, and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. I'm going to share something a little personal with you today, and I wonder how many of you have had this experience. Checked around a bit, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think it relates closely to what L. Ron Hubbard refers to as the KRC triangle. Knowledge, responsibility, and control. That's what the KRC stands for. Form a triangle such that when you increase any one of those three points, the other two will also rise. As a person, for example, takes responsibility for things like, for instance, his uh, own career as a manager, uh, say he tends to study management a little more closely because he's taking that responsibility level, and thereby he gains more knowledge and thus more control of whatever it is that he's managing. We did a whole episode on this, uh, episode 26 of volume one. I think the title is Three Steps to Causation. If you want to learn more about this triangle, uh, listen to that episode. Anyway, this one's not about the KRC triangle, but I bring it up because the point is I found when relating the data, uh, the technology of management as discovered and developed by Mr. Hubbard, I often have new realizations about that material. Interesting. I'm busy teaching something Mr. Hubbard has taught me, and while I'm relaying it to my audience, I very often start having new realizations about it. Have you ever experienced this? My rationale is that by taking responsibility for relaying the data, one's own knowledge automatically increases. How about that? So you're busy lecturing and going over some datum when all of a sudden uh, some whole new aspects of it and its application hits you in the teeth. It's, it's quite embarrassing sometimes because there you are teaching something and trying to appear all wise, forgive the pun, and suddenly you stand there staring at your own sketch on the whiteboard or something with your jaw slack, your mouth open as you suddenly realize, really realize uh, what Mr. Hubbard is trying to teach you here. Anyway, that's happened to me a couple of episodes ago when we were discussing power, use it or lose it. I think that's what we call it. And I went through that whole episode, and as I was going through it, I was starting to realize something. And then within a few minutes after the darn thing was, was published and made available to you all, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's an incredible, vital datum that has been sitting there in a reference I've read maybe a hundred times, and I did not realize uh, it as a major, major reason why some of us hit certain levels of power, and then stick there and uh, never graduate to the bigger game, no matter how much we say we want to. So I want to revisit this incredible article called Responsibilities of Leaders, written and published by Mr. Hubbard, 12 February, 1967. And um, this is Colloquially, we, we refer to it as Simon Bolivar because it's a story of Simon Bolivar and Manuela Sáenz, who was his consort. It's based on a book. The book is called The Four Seasons of Manuela by Victor W. Von Hagen. And Mr. Hubbard says it's an extraordinary and able book. And he is deriving this article from this story of this extraordinary general and leader and his also extraordinary consort, Manuela Sáenz. Anyway, uh, back when we were talking about 
power, use it or lose it. We were talking about the courage it takes for an individual to assign power to those around him uh, when they are extraordinarily able and they know that the people around them are not as able. And it sometimes takes a lot of guts to relay that or relinquish that power and give it to others. And we did a whole episode on that and we got a lot of great feedback on it. But, you know, it was interesting when I was doing the delivery of that particular episode, there's a few paragraphs here and I kind of went over them and I think I kind of brushed over them a little too quickly. And so I went back after the episode and I restudied this and I realized something in here that I think is so important. I, I decided at that point I wanted to do another episode and just cover these, this particular feature. There, there are a number of things in this reference because it's quite a long article and it's, it's referring to the mistakes of Simon Bolivar. So there's more than one. And we had covered one of them. And I have said, uh, you know, we could, we'll probably revisit this, this particular article again and again, because any one of these mistakes bear attention. You know, they should be studied carefully. And uh, I have studied this fairly carefully, but there are certain things in here. I mean, he's talking about Simon Bolivar, one of the greatest, he refers to him as the greatest general of them all. You know, considering everything that he was up against and the resources he had, you know, extraordinary leader, the liberator of South America, and, you know, currently lionized as an amazing, uh, you know, legend or, or hero. But uh, he actually died destitute and uh, disregarded, you know, by his people because of the mistakes that he had made. Well, you don't commonly hear about all that, but that's obviously covered in this book and it's covered in this article. But Mr. Hubbard is, is discussing a, a figure so big, you know, such a, a big being, such a grand being that I, some of the things in the article, I believe I have overlooked and I, and perhaps you've overlooked. And there's a particular phenomena in here because, you know, you kind of look at it and say, well, you know, that would be Simon Bolivar, not necessarily applying to, you know, Joe Dokes over here who's running a shoe store or, you know, or a dental clinic or, uh, you know, small business of some sort, a uh, construction company. Not everything you might say that you're studying about Simon Bolivar is necessarily going to le- apply to the leader of a group like, you know, a small company. But you know something? It actually does. That, that's what's crazy about this. And I, I want to emphasize this because the penny drop for me, and this is a factor, uh, I am nearly certain for many of you, in why you've not graduated to larger games that you may even be desirous of playing, but you've never really quite made that leap. And uh, I'm going to go over this with you to uh, hopefully empower you uh, with this information from Mr. Hubbard so that you can make those leaps if that's something that you want to do. So we're going to go back to the article and I'm going to read this paragraph to you now. We're going to take you know bits and pieces of this and we're going to construct this as a datum for you and see if it has application for you. I'd be interested in your feedback on this one. So he, he starts out here, he says, this is not what well, we're taking up in the middle of the article here, but he says, quote, honors meant a great deal to Bolivar. To be liked was his life, and it probably meant more to him than to see things really right. He never compromised his principles, but he lived on admiration, a rather sickening diet, since it demands, in turn, continuous, quote, theater, end quote, 
One is what one is, not what one is admired or hated for. To judge oneself by one's successes is simply to observe that one's postulates worked and breeds confidence in one's ability. To have to be told it worked only criticizes one's own eyesight and hands a spear to the enemy to make his wound a vanity at his will. Applause is nice. It's great to be thanked and admired. But to work only for that? And his craving for that, his addiction to the most unstable drug in history, fame, killed Bolivar. That self-offered spear. He told the world continually how to kill him. Reduce its esteem. So, as money and land can buy any quantity of cabals, he could be killed by curdling the esteem, the easiest thing you can get a mob to do. End quote. We better clear the word cabal. So, a cabal is a secret political clique or faction. And they use the example here, a cabal of dissidents. And it comes from uh, Latin Kabbalah, which... Uh, from the French cabal, from medieval Latin Kabbalah. And Kabbalah, interestingly enough, is uh, from Hebrew, which is tradition. And the Kabbalah was uh, the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible, first transmitted orally, and uh, yeah, reached the height of its influence in the later Middle Ages, and so on. So that's Kabbalah. It's actually originally a Hebrew word. It's like, okay. Anyway, so that's Kabbalah. So uh, he says here, again, to read that sentence over, he says, so as money and land can buy any quantity of cabals, he could be killed by curdling the esteem, the easiest thing you can get a mob to do. So here's uh, this extraordinarily powerful and able individual, but he thrived on admiration and, of course, honors and uh, being liked. And you can say to yourself, well, I don't roll like that. But uh, hang in there because there's an aspect to this. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. but." Uh, one of the things to take into consideration when we're covering this, this information is there are gradients of these things. You know, to what extent are you operating and seeking admiration? You know, a person who uh, ends up in charge, he builds successfully a business. He now has built or she has built a sort of a little universe of people around them. You know, they have their customers. Uh, they have their local community. You know, they're respected by the local community. Their employees perhaps uh, have a certain loyalty and admiration for the person and um, their customers or clients, you know, oh, Dr. Jones, you know, I always call him if I need advice. And, you know, you've got, you end up with this sort of uh, group around you, a little universe that you have constructed through successfully building an enterprise. And any enterprise is going to have a certain degree of influence uh, in its own environment, uh, great or small. So we're talking about gradients here. You may not have liberated South America, but you have done something uh, with whatever you have created. And that something is affording you, to some extent or another, a certain level of admiration. And you wouldn't be a being or a human being. I usually prefer the word being versus human being because sometimes you can get out of being human uh, if you really work at it, so to speak. But anyway. Uh, be that as it may, to 
any being appreciates admiration, no matter, no matter who you are, you know, and uh, it's a very, Mr. Hubbard refers to it as one of the most, uh, or the most valued particle, the most valued flow in the universe who doesn't like admiration. Uh, not everybody lives for admiration only, and you'll find that the people who don't, those who are pretty humble and they're not really seeking it, um, they tend to, uh, they're, they're a lot more invulnerable, I guess you could say, to people throwing barbs at them or any attacks to reduce their own, uh, their esteem or the esteem of others doesn't influence that person that much. Mr. Hubbard was incredible in that way, you know, a very, very admired individual, but not living for admiration. And, uh, uh, like any great being, you know, you are going to acquire, uh, you're trying to do something positive in the world, you're going to acquire, when we covered this before, uh, a certain number of enemies and a certain number of attacks. And uh, you can call it a thick skin if you like, but that's not really an adequate description. We're just talking about, hey, look, I, I, we're not living for admiration. You know, we're not digging that. We're not needing it. That's not how we roll. It's nice to get it, but it's not what we're all about. Now, if you can uh, start to acquire that sort of uh, a viewpoint, uh, or attitude, it does make you way more resilient in trying to achieve the things that you want to achieve. Let's just put it that way. So then Mr. Arbor goes on to say this. He says, quote, he had all the power. He did not use it for good or evil. One cannot hold power and not use it. We covered this in an earlier episode. It violates the power formula, for it then prevents others from doing things if they had some of the power. So they then see as their only solution the destruction of the holder of the power, as he, not using power or delegating it, is the unwitting block to all their plans. So even many of his friends and armies finally agreed he had to go. They were not able men. They were in a mess. But bad or good, they had to do something. Things were desperate, broken down and starving after 14 years of civil war. Therefore, they either had to have some of that absolute power or else nothing could be done at all. They were not great minds. He did not need any great minds. He thought, even though he invited them verbally, he saw their petty, often murderous solutions, and he rebuked them. And so he held the power and didn't use it. So we covered much of that in the earlier episode. But listen to this line, because I don't think I mentioned this in the, in the earlier episode. He says, the next line he says, Mr. Hubbard says, he could not stand another personality threat. Hear that? He could not stand another personality threat. Okay. So let's go back to our respected doctor in a community. He's got things going on. He's in power. People admire him. Uh, his employees appreciate him. He's acquiring uh, a good living. Uh, he's got a good family, home, uh, nice position in the community. You could say he's in a power condition. All right. Now, along comes someone and says, hey, Dr. Jones, how about we go bigger? How about we take on something larger? How about you run for mayor or, uh, you know, run for, I'm not inviting people to get into politics. I kind of think politics is a bit of a dead end, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but let's say we talk about, look, let's form a group of all the, um, uh, the most successful entrepreneurs in the area. You know, you're very respected. Why don't you lead them and uh, unite them and uh, give them an agenda and a plan that will help to uh, revitalize the economy in the area and bring uh, peace and prosperity and uh, stop any violence. And let's just take on a bigger level of responsibility. Okay. 
our Dr. Jones now has to look at something here. If I get into this new game, am I going to be, what, what's going to happen to this nice admiration, this nice support, this nice universe that I have created, that I have mastered, right? Now you're asking me, whoever this hypothetical person is talking to Dr. Jones, you're now asking me to jump into something. I'm not that familiar with how that goes. I'm, I'm in my early 50s, you know, I'm still young and lots of energy, but, uh, you know, I kind of like the way I have things arranged. And now you're telling me that there's a, a higher, a bigger game, a higher level of responsibility. Maybe, listen, maybe even Dr. Jones has been thinking about, you know, I ought to do something. You know, I ought to take responsibility for this scene. It's kind of nasty around here. You know, the community's going downhill. The economy's a wreck. I'm an able dude. You know, maybe I ought to jump and do something bigger. But, you know, I got all these things going on right now, and I've got this game I'm playing, and, you know, and I'm winning at this game. I'm not sure, right? Uh, it takes a lot of persuasion to, uh, quite often to get Dr. Jones to step out of his circle of power into a greater circle of power because what is he abdicating? All that admiration. And uh, he may not even think that. I'm not particularly motivated by admiration, but there is that whole world where he is appreciated, respected, admired. And now at the, in his mid, middle age, he's being asked to jump into a whole brand new thing where he's going to have to make new friends and earn respect and admiration from a whole bunch of strangers and people who he doesn't even know if he knows what he's doing because he probably doesn't because he's going to get into something that's new. So it's a whole bunch of new technology. It's a whole bunch of new uh, uh, knowledge that he needs. He's taking greater responsibility. So obviously he's going to have to learn more, get more knowledge to get the whole thing under control. And I don't know if I'm ready to study all that stuff. And, you know, you get, you get where the guy's head is at. He's not Simon Bolivar. He didn't free South America, but to some extent, he has that power in another level, you could say, another uh, echelon of it. And uh, he's not so sure that he wants to do. He may not even voice that. Often he doesn't, um, but, uh, or she doesn't, or we don't, you know, because I'm not even talking about something that I'm not familiar with. Mr. Hubbard says, he says, no, Bolivar was theater. It was all theater. One cannot make such errors and still pretend that one thinks of life as life, red-blooded and factual. Real men and real life are full of dangerous, violent, live situations and wounds hurt. And starvation is desperation itself, especially when you see it in one you love. This mighty actor, backed up with fantastic personal potential, made the mistake of thinking the theme of liberty and his own great role upon the stage was enough to interest all the working, suffering hours of men, buy their bread, pay their whores, shoot their wise lovers, and bind their wounds, or even put enough drama into very hard-pressed lives to make them want to live it. No, Bolivar was unfortunately the only actor on the stage, and no other man in the world was real to him. Wow. So Bolivar, a grand actor on a stage and consumed to a great degree with his own role, with his own presentation of self, with his own created universe and unwilling to acknowledge 
the universe of others. And that was one of his great errors. And it might be one of our errors, too, when we are in a situation where, you know, you don't think of yourself as, as a leader like that, maybe, but, you know, to some extent, to varying degrees, the game that we have created can sometimes be all about us. And uh, there are people around us that are living their lives, uh, trying to get on with things, with their own ambitions, their own goals. And does that fit into our own picture of our own universe and how we think things should be? Uh, maybe, maybe not. And to what degree are we aware of their situations or aware of their problems and caring for them and being interested in them for them, not for us? You follow? And are we willing to look around at the environment? You know, we have created a safe environment for ourselves. We've created an environment for ourselves. Are we willing to now go to the next level of responsibility to expand our scope and our zone of influence? or? Are we like, okay, we're comfortable here. We have admiration here. I've got a, a little play going on here. I'm the actor on the stage and I'm doing pretty good here. I'm the star of my show. And now you're asking me to go into a whole new movie where I may just be an extra to begin with or, you know, a supporting role. And now I got to learn all the ropes here in a whole new zone of influence and a whole new level of knowledge and responsibility and control. Now I've got to, to step up to see if I can you know, write the ship or, or, or improve it or assist with the improvement of it or take a, a, a less significant role, but an important one in the building of uh, another universe, a bigger universe than the one that I have constructed around me. And I believe in my decades of working with powerful people, big beings, that this is a lot more common than I had realized this phenomena of being unwilling to shift from uh, a game that had been created and established to the bigger game, to the more influential, perhaps even more important and vital game. Because let's face it, there's a lot of things to write in the world. There's a lot of things to take responsibility for to build a better world we all want. And sometimes it dismays me to, to witness uh, an individual that could do so much be a little bit backed off because now they're going to step into a zone they're not so familiar with and have to learn a whole bunch of new ropes and technology and knowledge, you know? And uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's you or not. I have seen it in my own life. Uh, I've seen it in other people's lives. And I would like to, uh, after realizing this had wasn't just applicable to Bolivar, but is applicable to almost any one of us to one extent or another, I invite you to look at it and uh, see if this is one of the things that may be holding you back from making the great leap to the next great game. And um, unfortunately, by not doing so, you've forfeited uh, your potential to contribute to building a better world. And I think that's way too important a thing in this day and age to forfeit. I think that it's something that uh, I think something we might all look at. How can we step up and take on more and bring about more order, more peace, more prosperity uh, than we are? Okay. Anyway, very interesting um, realizations I had on this and I wanted to share it with you. Hope you got something out of it. 
Uh, please leave your comments. Write us at info at wiseeastus.org. Uh, let us know how you're getting along with your own lives, with your own business. We're happy to help at Wise East US. I'm certainly, uh, I make every effort to answer everyone. So, you know, please do write and, uh, or leave comments and likes. We appreciate those. And I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode and we will talk to you again next week.